0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Jump Scares, because loud, sudden noises are easier than writing a good movie. Let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Robot Arms Apartments. Come stay in the coziest apartments in New New York City with closet space you could live in, only at Robot Arms Apartments. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes... And I'm Todd. And this is the film analysis podcast that parents hate, but the kids love. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't know. Parents hate and kids are indifferent about (laughs) (laughs) that's probably true. We're accurate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we do a lot of film analysis, and we were just talking before the episode started. You know, you were making some interesting points and I think valid points. Like you were on set recently and uh I think maybe today or yesterday. And I guess give a brief recap of a guy was thinking about getting a vision line and you're like, nah. (laughs) Yeah. So what I was saying, and I'll just say it
0: again, um, is that. So, Wes, you're doing Invisalign right now. True. And true. And I just finished it at the beginning of this past year. Fact. And. Fact, <laughs> true and fact. And this this guy who uh, who was my my co actor he he told me that so he was this big dude, big black guy, and he has gaps in his teeth. And he was saying that he was gonna he was about to go see a, a orthopedist about doing Invisalign. And I immediately, for whatever reason, even though I just did it and finished it, and I know the, you're doing it, and I have nothing against it.
1: Yeah, orthopedist I was, or orthodontist. <laughs>
0: orthodontist (laughs) you know you know tomato tomato yeah
1: you could you could see an orthopedist about what you just did about
0: yeah or a foot and 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 an orthodontist okay Okay, sorry (laughs) uh thank you for correcting me i i immediately for whatever reason said dude you don't need that and then i before i didn't even think about it i it wasn't Hmm. it wasn't like a you know i just did it and so i have an opinion about it and i'm negative against it like I'm. I have no opinion other than good like I I like my teeth but my teeth weren't like totally messed up or di- weren't unique in a way his teeth were like very unique he has you know the 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 gap in the middle you know like what's their name anyway like he has some gaps in his teeth and I I was like man it makes you look unique it makes you look like you have this specific look I wouldn't fix it if if I were you I mean you know you might be self-conscious about it and, so, and if so totally fix it if it makes you feel better but i i think you you look great and i so and that translates to we started talking about b-list actors and b-list only meaning like not the tom cruises not the brad pitts that always get the main leading role you know but actors that are really amazing that you recognize in every in everything that you see them in you're like oh that's that guy from that thing and, but you can't say their name now Let's just back up for a second. If my son wanted to play football and he wanted to make it to the NFL, I would probably tell him, dude, be a kicker or a deep snapper because you're not going to you're not going to get the brain damage that, you know, like you would as a linebacker. You'll have a longer career. You'll make plenty of money and you'll always have a job. You'll always looking for great kickers and great deep snappers. It's the same with, with like B-list actors. Like you can be a millionaire B-list actor. You can live easily on your art as a B-list actor. You don't have to be the Tom Cruise at the Brad Pitt. Uh, You know, I don't have to write a number one hit single to like live off music. Like it is, there is so much of, there's a huge breadth of work out there. And so anyway, I was telling him like, man, that's unique. That's you. Like if it were up to you and some other guy with perfect teeth, I don't know. And I'm, and I'm casting for a film. I might go with you just because of the the way you look is so unique and depending on the role. Right. But if it's you and some other guy and you both have, you know, look very similar and you have perfect teeth, how are they going to know the difference between you two? If you,
1: if everything is
0: equal else is equal. And so, you know, yeah, no, I think it there's, there's, just something, funny, there's a lot yeah. to
1: say for that. And part of it does depend on, like you said, your goals, you know, if, yeah. you're, if you're going to be X or Y, then whether you're trying to be a TV show, you know, actor or a dramatic actor in movies, those are completely different things, especially whenever you start thinking about traditionally, anyway, this is changing as we get into this streaming model of creation. But I think for the longest time, you know, because TV was on TV, everyone, the, the, Shows were brighter, literally, and the the actors looked better, right, much prettier people and I think that has a lot to do with the the advertisements that ran around it uh, you don't want the audience to feel too jarred coming to and from advertisements and and attractive people are just much easier to watch from a more aesthetic point of view like. We there's a reason why we like good-looking people. This is just human nature, genetics, you know, evolution, whatever you want to call it. And so soap operas, right? They're gonna have the, the hottest people. And the reason for that is, you know, very simple because you're also about to run an advertisement right afterwards, and you don't want those worlds to be so wildly different that people mm-hmm. stop watching your show. Uh, it all kind of needs to feel like this seamless integration. But if you're going to be, you know, a dramatic actor or or more of a supporting character, then character adds a lot. It helps you be identifiable in the audition room and in TV shows. You're just going to get noticed a lot easier than, you know, the super attractive man or woman like you just kind of fade into the background if you're too attractive and in some cases your acting has to be that much better and you have to get that much more interesting opportunities and role decisions or else you are just going to get lumped in as oh attractive person it's Mm -hmm. easy to get lost in the weeds whereas if you keep whatever you know a gap in your teeth or the mole on your cheek like those are going to be things that's like Maybe you're not going to get leading man parts or leading lady parts. (laughs) Sorry, that that Uh sounds really uh, funny. I I didn't say it. You you found it yourself. That's fine. (laughs) But, you know, those leading roles may go to someone else, but you'll have a longer career. You'll have more interesting roles, I think, to some degree. uh, There's only so many times Adam Sandler is going to be able to play the perfect person. Like all the movies he writes for himself are usually going to have him being the perfect person with the perfect line who never has any flaws like okay I mean I'm great I'm glad you never mess up a play whatever in football in the youngest yeah. yard or whatever but that's exhausting that's it's not fun you're gonna be forgettable after too long you need to play characters with interesting developments and things to overcome and a lot of that stuff you know is perfectly exhibited in supporting characters and those supporting characters, are what they are because of their interesting, you know, natures, because you also have to, you have, because you're a supporting character, you have that much less time on screen. And so the easier it is to identify and fulfill your, your role in the film, uh, the better. And all those interesting characteristics help you achieve that aim to some Mm -hmm. degree or another. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're right. I I think there's a lot to be said for it. I mean, you're also right. Whenever you're like, man, if this is something that's going to give you a higher quality of life, then, you know, do your thing. But if you're only going to do it because you think this is going to help your career, there's more than one way to view that, you know, decision. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Yeah, mine are very fun to look at. Like, I'm like, okay, let's we can we can make an improvement here. All that said, what are we going to do today? We are covering Tucker and Dale versus Evil.
0: So if you haven't seen this, go watch it. I I, I just watched it on Netflix, but apparently it's not there anymore, I guess as of today. Yeah, <laughs> it's not there it anymore. As of October one. Perfect timing. I'm glad I watched it ahead of time yeah. then. So yeah, so if you haven't seen it, go find it somewhere and uh watch it before this episode because we are gonna
1: talk about some spoilers yeah i'd be surprised if this doesn't get picked up because it was on hulu for a while and then it was on netflix for a while i'm sure someone else prime or someone else will probably have it yeah before too long yeah mm-hmm. yeah we're, we'll we'll talk about a few things uh we'll dive into story and writing we'll talk about final girls dramatic irony violent humor hiding exposition through humor and we'll also touch on cinematography supporting story perspective as well as practical effects and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: So here's a synopsis of the film. Affable hillbillies Tucker and Dale are on vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they're mistaken for murderers by a group of preppy college kids. It's directed by Eli Craig, written by Eli Craig and Morgan Jurgensen, cinematography by David Geddes, starring Alan Tudyk as Tucker, Tyler Labine as Dale, Katrina Bowden as Allie, and Jesse Moss as
1: Chad. Tucker! Tucker! Holy mother of God! What happened to you? Are you okay? What happened to me? Some kid. He just hooked himself right into the wood chipper. What? Well, head first right into the wood chipper. From his shoes and his pants, it looked like it might have been one of the college kids. What the hell happened to her? Well, uh, she got knocked down fell into the shitter hole right next to me. Is that your blood? What, no? No, it's college kid blood. One of those suckers came running out of nowhere and speared himself straight through the gut and died right on top of me, Todd. Holy crap. Oh no! Calm down, calm down. Don't cry, calm down. Okay. Get a hold of yourself. <sighs> <sighs> All right,
0: I know what this is. What? This is a suicide pact.
1: What? These kids are coming out here and they're killing themselves all over the woods. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. We have got to hide all of the sharp objects.
0: (laughs) We have got to hide all of the sharp objects. Like that's a serious plan in their head. They're like, we're gonna do this. We're gonna hide the sharp objects out of the woods. (laughs) This is. I'm just. This is such a good film, man. I loved every moment of it. It, was this it's just your first time so, it? Yes, it was. I, I had never even heard of it before this. I, you know, so I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I assumed Tucker and Dale versus Evil is going to be funny, but you know, you never know. And then, you know, a few minutes in, I was like, "Yeah, this is ridiculous." There's like nine kids in this SUV already in the first scene, and they just keep popping up. There's like two in front, and then there's three in the back seat. And there's three more, and then there's one in the very back. It's like ridiculous. Yeah, but I didn't really know what to expect, and then I realized, oh, the evil is the college kids. This is fantastic. I just loved every bit of it, like their their hapless like luck of you know the kids killing themselves. Uh, it was just fantastic. Just so so great. The acting was was really great. The timing, the delivery of uh, the jokes and the funny the funny bits by Tucker and Dale was so great. I loved Allie. I thought she was lovable. At the same time, I mean, she's just gorgeous, but at the same time, you know, like you could tell she was different than the others and it was great. I love that it worked out in the end for for Dale and and her and that Tucker didn't die and that Chad did. It was just it was just a great popcorn movie. Really and literally, that's what I did. I sat in my kitchen on my on the the little island and I just ate popcorn and watched this thing, <laughs> and I was so happy.
1: It was it was just so entertaining. It's so unexpected. Like I saw this in theaters. Me and my mom. You did? Liked to, yeah, we like. When to did do, it come out? When was it? Oh gosh, 2011? Oh, 2010? that long ago. Oh yeah, gosh, forever. Okay. And we like to do movie marathons, and so we'll go see anywhere from three to six movies in a day and yeah we'll make a whole day of it man we'll just eat at the alamo and this was when i was like this is going to be fun like i i just have a feeling that this is going to be hilarious and so yeah we were dead like this thing they just stack all the humor so absolutely perfectly and i'll definitely dive into that in detail but it just hits alan tudyk is so good and for me he he definitely was the, a big reason why I went to see it because I didn't know anybody else in this film except him. But Tyler Labine as Dale really caught me, man. This guy, just the level of absolute sincerity, like what you were just talking about, like this is a serious plan. They're going to they're gonna really try yeah. to hard hide <laughs> to hide like, <laughs> sharp objects? like all sharp objects. just going to try. <laughs> yeah. It destroyed me in all the best ways. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know. I'll just rip, rip through you know notes here. Yeah, and let's jump in at will as usual. Like from a story and writing perspective, they take a really good advantage of the classic horror genre, right? Of the killer in the woods, and there's a lot of these callbacks to the classics, right? Friday the Thirteenth, The Hills Have Eyes, Chainsaw Massacre, all these types of horror films were. People are where they shouldn't be and they pay a heavy penalty for it. Like they even call back to the final girl at the very end who turns out to be Chad's mom. And just as an explanation, if you've never heard this term final girls, it's just kind of this catch all term that was used during the 80s. Whenever you got to the end of one of these films that I'm talking about and there's one person left and it was usually, you know, the the sweet, innocent girl that survived and takes down the bad guy or the the villain or the the Whatever the creature. And because so many of these movies had this trope, they just kind of all got lumped into this idea of the final girl. And so this movie has the same thing, right? It opens. Well, it doesn't open. But towards the beginning, you get this uh, this horror story, right? The campfire story of this slaughter, this massacre that happens in the woods. And of course, we find out at the end that the final girl was Chad's mom. And that becomes his backstory, that, which illuminates his crazy fixation on killing is because he wants to kill Tucker and Dale because he thinks they're the kind of people that got his father killed, not understanding that his dad was actually the the killer. And so they're trying to create this, I don't know, genetic or whatever this uh history behind the reason of why he's got this murder gene in him or whatever it doesn't really matter that much it's just kind of this light not to he's the he's the. i didn't even care yeah
0: exactly i didn't even even care to try to understand i just enjoyed everything around it
1: yeah it would have totally worked if they didn't insert that but it still works even though it's in there like there's it doesn't help or hurt much anything Mm. but it does change the fundamental inciting question this whole setup this whole scenario from you know there's evil in the woods to what if the the evil isn't the hillbillies but the college kids who are judging them, and so the traditionally right the the evil was uh sin, you know these kids go into the woods and they do drugs, they have sex, and therefore they're violating morality, hence they should die. But what if the real morality that's being violated is them judging people they don't know based on their own? You know, preconceived notions of the world or other cultures, which I love. That's a really great underpinning, you know, element to this story. And, but now the classic archetypes are playing against type. So Tucker and Dell now are friendly, kind souls with dreams and aspirations, and the college kids are these judgmental morons. And so we open with the kids driving to the country, which it's such a painful intro, um, right? The, the dialogue, these tropey cliches, it all feels really clunky and silly and like 30 seconds into this thing, I'm like, man, this hurts. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to spend time in this, but I think what the, the, the film is trying to do is help us to not identify with them. We're judging them. We hate them instead of being charmed by them. Um, and this is very fundamental because it's, they are making sure we do not like these kids, and therefore we have no problem laughing at their death. It's imperative that we dislike these kids. And, like, even the the found footage intro ensures that we understand who the real bad guy is from the very beginning. That it's not going to be, you know, uh, Tucker and Dale. We've we've already seen the killer. And so we see the the found footage of the couple being killed, and then we flash back to, right, three days ago, which I really just realized that the that intro the found footage intro is also kind of the an inversion of sorts normally at the end of the movie you have this post credits footage of what happens the killer survived well they actually that's that's what that is the killer survived except we insert that into the beginning of the film you have to understand that they he didn't die at the end of this movie he's still alive and the proof of that is in the intro and so they kind of hid in plain sight what happened to the killer he's still alive and kicking and so if you watch that very first footage they they say all the things that give you the hint that he's still alive oh this is still a crime scene we shouldn't be here like uh, blah 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 and so that kind of surprised me as I was hitting play right before we started this again like i i sometimes like to have the movie playing while i'm doing the show that's what yeah it's it adds new dimension right rewatching things yeah yeah and so all that to say the clear understanding is imperative to the audience's ability to have dramatic irony, right? So we establish the kids and then we pass the rednecks and then the rednecks pass them. And while they're passing, right, they have that kind of "dur" look on their face that you're starting to judge them too, like, oh, God, these guys are redneck hillbillies up to no good. And then we have that bad run in at the gas station, right? The, they're looking and judging the college kids or whatever. And then we get to know the quote unquote hillbillies tucker and dale like this establishes dramatic irony because now the viewer knows something the characters do not right tucker and dale are assuming the best as we get to know them we're seeing through their perspective that oh man look at these cool kids and that beautiful girl i want to go talk to her and so we understand from their perspective that they're just regular people. (laughs) But we also already understand from the college kids' perspectives that they're assuming the worst and they're judging these people. And so we have to establish early on that the kids are seeing evil, scary rednecks and that we also understand that Tucker and Dell are really good people. This establishes both perspectives so that we always know why the college kids don't know the evil rednecks are actually good people. And in this movie, perspective is absolutely everything. And so that is this fundamental base layer that the movie establishes. And because next we have the, I think, humor through sincerity, Tucker and Dale are adorably innocent. Like they they go into this this cabin in the woods that, you know, Tucker's bought. And the first thing that they think is man, the the last owners must have been a real news junkie, right? He's got yeah. murder clippings all over the wall. And their honest thought is like, well, wow, these guys must have been, you know, really into the news.
0: <laughs> and I want to say that I, th- I think that that as so in, in the relationship, you have the it's very much another trope here where you have kind of like the leader and mm-hmm. you have, you know, it's of mice and men kind of thing where you've got. You know the <laughs> the leader, and then this the dumb That's guy. such a and great comparison. They call, and they call it out though, because it, even even Dale s- says constantly how stupid he is. But his 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 specific superpower is he remembers everything he's ever heard, which is literally like the most brilliant you could ever be as a human being. Right. right? So it's funny. Like, here's the trope. The trope is I have the leader who's Tucker and I have the stupid guy who's Dale, but you know, Dale is actually the smarter of the two when you get down to it. Yeah. He's a savant. They call it out, but like as, as loving and dopey as Dale is, I feel like you buy into that because the leader Tucker is also super lovable yeah, he's not he's not this lead. He's not like the, the stereotypical leader that like always tells Dale what to do he, 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 and and only gets mad at him. Like he gets mad at Dale, but it's out of love from yeah. the very beginning. They set it up where he's telling Dale, you're a good looking guy. Go talk mm-hmm. to her. You know, you can you got better in you. Like the first thing that happens is he tells Dale that you're worth it, you know. And then one of the last things that happens you know, as he tells Dale to go save her is like, I'll be okay. You know, whatever. And, 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 you know, don't believe if anybody tells you that you're less than, you know, like he's like loves Dale so much, but so they, they base his leadership off of smarts. And so that's where we're we're believing he's the leader because he's smarter. But then we find out that actually Dale is the smartest person in this entire film, (laughs) So it's they they kind of throw a wrench in it, but anyway, I, I bookend that with saying that Dale is the lovable dopey guy, but I think that we buy into that that they both are so much because Alan Tudyk is so perfect at playing a character that you love no matter what. Yeah, like he just is brilliant at at roles like this where he can play he can play stupid, but he can play stupid and strong at the same yeah. time. He just a, does. Yeah,
1: no, I yeah. recently watched The Night's Tale and that's him to a T. And that once again, like he's playing this like very violent guy that you absolutely love and adore. And yeah, he's he's magical at carrying that humor and like cutting edge. Like he's absolutely tearing what, you know, able to tear you down and make you make you feel bad. But in a, in a fun way, like he, you never take him too serious. I think it's because. And I think a lot of a lot of actors like this, they they have
0: one look that they do all the time that that is their look. It's like a face that they do. It's like their face that they they are masters of. And he has one. And it's a confused. it's, It's this face where he does it. And you're like, he's confused and he's trying to understand it. But everything is just so hard right now that he just can't. It's like uh, and it's something like with his jaw, I think he just does this whole like, you know, like and if you're if you're listening to this instead of watching it on YouTube, you don't know what I'm doing. But watch him, watch this movie or any movie that he's in. And he always has this kind of like thing where if something gets difficult or or challenging or he's frustrated, he has a specific look. That he does. Yeah, and it's like he's furrowing think, his yeah. jaw. <laughs> he's furrowing, yes, yes, I guess. And uh, I I think a lot of actors that do this kind of thing, they kind of have a similar thing. It might not be mm-hmm. that face. Right, right, right. It's a different. But yeah. they have their own way of conveying through facial expression. And yeah, he's it's just disarming. So at it.
1: It's very disarming. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. But they, yeah, you're right. They both have really redeemable qualities about them. Mm-hmm. And all of that comes through their absolute sincerity. You never feel like they're winking at the camera or being silly on purpose. It's all completely sincere, right? He sees, uh, yeah. Dale sees Tucker's fingers have been cut off. And his first thought is they cut off his bowling fingers. <laughs> like that's such an honest <laughs> it's reaction. So because it's so good. That's, that's something that yeah. they love to do. And now he's like, Oh no, we can't have fun no more. <laughs> like,
0: Oh my God! And the fishing conversation—he doesn't oh like God. fishing. He's like, did, "Did I, did I upset you? <laughs> like a little." <laughs> it's perfect. It's like all the all the tropes of of like what hillbillies are supposed to love to do, and Dale is like, not that. Fine <laughs> they have all. board games. They have board games in there. It's like <laughs> that's right. Board games. <laughs> what? So good. Anyway, but it's key. Oh, like the- when they walk. <laughs> When they walk into, when they first walk into the cabin and Dale goes, it's a little dusty. (laughs) I lost it. I just lost it. There's like shit everywhere. Cobwebs (laughs) hanging from stuff like, you know, dead things hanging
1: from the ceiling, like murder on the walls. It's a little dusty. But it's so key. Like anyway, their emotional sorry. investment is the absolute key to their humor. They're so sincere in their delivery, which adds to the dramatic irony of misunderstanding the situation that they're in. Right? Even at the end, and this goes to Allie as well. Like there's this really big plot twist that Chad is a hillbilly, and you know Allie's trying to be very sincere and helpful, and she's like, "It's true, you're half hillbilly," and like it's just so funny, and it just nails the the funny bone because. They're being absolutely sincere in their delivery. And I think the next layer in like the, the humor for me is how violent and absolutely gory it is. Oh, yeah. And I think the, the gore really enhances the comedy because seeing such brutal death juxtaposed against Tucker and Dale's confusion absolutely heightens the fun. Because the dramatic irony we're enjoying creates an incredible amount of empathy for the characters. And it's kind of this compounded understanding hitting all at once. That adds to the humor, right? The the realism of the violence merging with the confusion on the characters' face and our understanding of why they're confused and why it's happening in the first place and the fact that we're absolutely not on the side of the kids being killed we only have empathy for the hillbillies and it's all just really overwhelming to the viewer because it's perfectly constructed in the buildup. these slow layers are just constantly adding and then finally whenever you see kid impaling himself running from tucker you know with the chainsaw and he's Seeing the bee die, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, he gets it. But even more than that, right, whenever the kid impels himself on top of Dale and, like, he's just bleeding and screaming and Dale is, like, Screaming and he's just the horror on his face and the confusion of uh the kid jumping into the wood chipper with the blood just absolutely gushing everywhere all over Tucker as he's trying to help him and he's like so <laughs> concerned and it's just overwhelming. Um, and it's their innocent deductions, you know, that adds even more humor to it, right? The gore and the the innocence. Um, and they just want to help. It's a suicide pact, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) We gotta help these kids. (laughs) They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. It's freaking amazing. And it just adds so much because it's simple. There's nothing really complicated about this film, Um, it's there right on its face. They're not asking really anything of the audience other than simply pay attention and, and you're going to have a really good time because yeah. you're empathizing and seeing everything from everyone's perspective. And there's this element of you that says, man, if only these characters would slow down and understand. But at the same time, because you just don't care about the kids, you're okay with it. <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, more than anything, you just want Tucker and Dell to be fine. You're, you're concerned for their safety. And so you're alleviated every time they get out of a, a bad That's- situation. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not that I
0: necessarily didn't like the kids. I think that really, you know, the the only kid that I really just didn't like was Chad, but that they gave him a name, Chad, I think probably for <laughs> right. a reason. Sorry to all the Chads out there. Uh, believe me, I'm Todd. I've I had <laughs> plenty of the same. So it wasn't necessarily that I didn't like the kids. It was more that I just loved Tucker and Dale. And so seeing the kids you know, the kids trying to kill Tucker and if it was just the kids, like being out there and annoying Tucker, Tucker and Dale, that'd be one thing, but you know, they're literally trying to kill them. So it's like, yeah, no, I kind of need you to die now. You yeah. Know? And, uh, yeah. So it's for the it best. was acceptable. Cause it's like that when, with the first one, when the first one died, I was like, and I think that was the kid running through the, was it the kid running through the, the mm-hmm. forest and impaled himself? Yeah. I was like, Oh, Oh, it's, oh, it's that yeah. kind of, movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Cause it's brutal. And it was like, it was pretty jarring yeah. because that kid and specifically, I didn't really see him do anything real bad. You know, it was just like more of like a, like a shock and awe thing than it was. And I, I was worrying with myself inside, like, am I okay with that? Yeah. You know, like, okay. I, I think so. Cause they're trying to kill
1: them. Okay. Okay. And as it went on, I was more okay with the first one. But that's a really good you point. Know. They, they ease you in with that first kill and you, they give you this moment of satisfaction of seeing him recognizing where his mistake was because that bee kind of floats around in his face and you see the slow realization of, Oh, he was running from the bees. And he said, and at, after that point, now you are introduced to the sheer violence and you understand that this kid understood his mistake and then everything after that uh gets so much easier because it it gets almost to the point of being over the top i don't think it really achieves being over the over the top in the sense of their blood produces a, the normal amount of blood that you would expect it's not tarantino we, yeah. we're bringing in you know 50 gallon drums of blood here it's yeah it's it's not over the top in that sense um but the violence is so visceral quite literally like they're having this conversation with the cop and Dale is holding a leg of half a half of a body and it's just out there. (laughs) And it's that kind of juxtaposition of the innocence with the brutality that makes it really delightful um, because it's so absurd, Uh, but it's so Mm -hmm. honest. Everything in there is honest. Yeah. I will say one of the hard parts for this movie and for horror comedies is killing women, killing women for humor very difficult. I've had projects where we spent a lot of time discussing and dissecting this because it's much more difficult than men because we empathize with men, women more right or wrong. That's just the way it is. We, we, we don't like to see women harmed. This is yeah. either cultural or biological. I have no idea. I'm not going to, you know, hazard a guess, uh, but it's a reality <laughs> at this point in time. And because of that, it's more offensive and it contradicts the humor that we're aiming for. If you want us to laugh at a, a woman dying, you have your work cut out for you. But we, we do have three women in this movie and one of them, of course, is the final girl, but we also do kill two women. First is semi-killed by a weed eater, but it's not from our people. It's almost self-inflicted, right, by one of her, her friends. The weed eater also hides her face as it's kind of getting, you know, destroyed and so it makes it less personal and so the goal through their 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 methodology in the film is to remove uh, the personalization of it hide their faces hide the actual death uh, the second woman dies in a huge explosion right after she kills her friend and she you know she accidentally burns him to death and then she starts smoking a cigarette kind of adding to the idea that she's not helping at all, but we still don't. She's the reason. <laughs> she's the reason. <laughs> yeah. And then the the building explodes, right? She's smoking a cigarette next to all these flammable things and the the building explodes. And so once again, we're emotionally removed from them dying in a very up close, intimate way because they both effectively die in that explosion. Like the first one got, you know, beat up really brutally, but she was still alive and asking for help. And even that was kind of funny in the sense of you're watching this really, you know, gross demonstration of what was a beautiful woman now has no face. Uh, and it's just the, I don't know. I didn't really laugh at that scene, but you're also like, ah, like this is uncomfortable. Yeah. You're almost glad that the building explodes to some extent,
0: but removing. That, yeah. It's funny you say that because that was the, that was the one yeah. that I was like, I, I don't like that at mm-hmm. all. Like I, I had a negative reaction to that. I mean, I think I had a negative reaction to all of them, just because I don't like seeing that kind of thing, ever. But yeah. especially, and especially to kids, but especially to female kids, like that. Uh, you know, anyway, yeah, the weed eater thing, I uh, definitely was the worst out of all of them. I think, because like, if you just have you know have a girl in the corner smoking a cigarette and then the place explodes, you don't see anything. Yeah, she's
1: not in pain. It's just it doesn't over, feel like violence you know? against women right yeah it's just something that happened and i think they were also going for the kind of the the bam 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 effect like all these things pile on top of each other very very quickly so that you're not dwelling on any one specific moment. Instead, you're just trying to follow the sequence of events and then mm-hmm. an explosion and now it's like okay that's over with holy crap yeah and so that is a tricky thing you know, like most I don't know how many horror comedies really accomplish satisfying and humorous death of women. I that's a that's a problem like we're we have a side project that we've been working on that has to tackle that same issue and I have my theories. I think you know you probably want to not be in a close up and in general for humor's sake, you don't usually want to be in a close up of death if you want to laugh at it. You want to be, you know, removed And so that's one aspect that needs to be self-inflicted to a large extent. I don't think you can have someone else kill a woman and that be funny. Like it needs to be something that she self-inflicts and that she deserves. And that's the best you're going to, I think, be able to do. Getting a laugh out of a woman dying is very, very challenging. And I think they did their best in terms of let's just hit the escape key and not even try to make it funny. Let's just get it over with. (laughs) quick mm-hmm. and painless yeah. another thing i kind of liked uh was hiding exposition as comedy i thought that was really clever they sit down for tea which is already pretty good we're gonna have the 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 bad guy and the perceived bad guy both mm-hmm. sit down and we're gonna air our grievances <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the the height of the absurdity and we of course that's when we hear his backstory uh, chad's backstory and dale is just kind of like yeah i i I don't even remember what his response to it was. He was just like, I I don't, I'm not enjoying this. So it's kind of the extent of yeah. like, I want this to stop. Yeah. But whenever they sit down for, for tea, the, the thing that's funny, the exposition as comedy is him saying this big bad guy who's been all about murder is as he's watching Allie pour the tea. Is that chamomile? Because I can't have chamomile. It, it messes with my asthma. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's it's funny. It's a funny line that is disarming in the sense of you don't ascribe any significance to it because it's just as it feels like you're undercutting your bad guy in a Uh really funny way. But in reality becomes, you know, very key at the end of the film, whenever we line up Dale's, you know, memory, I don't know if it's necessarily photographic, but he has this, you know, perfect memory to recall facts and he recalls that later on in two ways. Like, for one, he remembered that this guy has allergies, but also remembers the key ingredient that creates allergies from chamomile is this extract or whatever. And he, uses and he just that. like <laughs> spews it, like yeah, all the data. Right? <laughs> so good. Yeah. That's perfect. Like in being able to, you know, have that exposition and enjoy it as exposition and as comedy is really fantastic writing. That's Agreed. something that's, you know, hard to do. So many films, the boring films, the reason that they're boring to you that you don't realize is that it's exposition and you're having to learn things about characters in a way that isn't fun. But mm-hmm. learning things about the characters in a way that entertains you at the same time is is kind of the the secret to making a, a good and that, movie. Yeah. And that a good I'm glad you said that a
0: good movie in general, like yep. that, that's not reserved for comedy. Mm. Like, the, in fact, I would say that comedy is probably the rarest form of this of this kind of thing so they did it they did it brilliantly because that kind of thing should be reserved not reserved but also employed employed in every genre that requires exposition like drama romance like all that stuff like don't spoon feed me, man. Yeah. Like, give it to me for a purpose, yeah. like have a purpose behind it. And their purpose was to for her to be the mediator. Right. Which is what she's went to school for. So she's sitting down You're OK, she's this is what she went to school for, is going to school for. She learned this. So we're expecting something, whatever. They're sitting down. We're you're having some humor that goes along with it. We're learning backstories and and uh, feelings and all that stuff, which is hilarious because he's been <laughs> trying to kill him and then the story he tells is also hilarious so like like yeah there's purpose behind it and i think that all the all genres should employ exposition with this kind of Thought, uh, mentality yeah because i hate exposition for exposition sake sake yeah. the easiest way to lose me is that way like well there's other easy ways as well but that's a very easy
1: one absolutely completely agree my last i note for story and writing i didn't have a clever insert for this i just thought it was really funny and at best it's kind of endearing but it's the fact that tucker keeps pouring beer on his injuries like he's got a swollen (laughs) face pouring a beer because you see him open grab the beer and you just assume that he's gonna (laughs) put it on his face like oh here's a cold thing you know and instead he just pours the beer directly on it he pours it on his amputated fingers like yeah (laughs) it's so specific and weird and uh it's brilliant like i don't know i just find that kind of thing really really entertaining yeah it's awesome but as far as cinematography like i love this for one i wouldn't say this is like a brilliantly shot film it's pretty humdrum as most comedies are i don't really go into comedies expecting fantastic cinematography but i love that the music and cinematography really aid the contrast of supporting the the perspectives right the scary tones under the intention of the moment we got your friend, you know, coupled with these really ominous tones reinforces the perspective of the college kids that, oh, crap, they're evil. And this is a bad and you're just always identifying with who based on the way it's shot or more specifically on the way it's color graded and to some extent the way it's shot, but also the music, these both of these things really are telling two different types of movies. You have a buddy comedy happening and then a scary horror film. And they're just kind of colliding with each other in these two separate worlds. And they're reinforcing that through the color grading. And because, you know, you have the the cooler tones with the college kids and the warmer tones for Tucker and Dale up to a certain point. And then you have these other moments, right? The backlit fog mist for the dramatic light streaks, kind of, even as he's bringing out the pancakes and we're looking at it from Allie's perspective like he's coming out of this really heavily smoky room and you get why and he's just like oh oh the, she she doesn't like pancakes you moron <laughs> like <laughs> you're just constantly <laughs> oh, oh oh eggs okay <laughs> so good <laughs> yeah freaking fantastic i also really like the uh the practical special effects there's a lot that's in here the one that kind of stuck out to me that i think any filmmaker can do, and that's kind of why I wanted to point it out was the nail gun there's this moment with the nail gun where he accidentally fires it, right, and just accomplishing that simple effect is incredibly easy because if you were to just kind of zoom out, take two steps back, you would see the nail was already there it's already just sitting in the side of this chair, but the way that you set that moment up helps you buy into the fact that he just accidentally fired this nail gun. For one, you, you frame tight on Tucker and Dale framing out the nail so that obviously you don't see it in the shot. And then the actors react to the firing, right? That coupled with the, the quick pan to reveal the nail and you add the sound effect of the nail firing and hitting the chair next to Tucker. And it's just all together becomes a very believable moment of crap. He almost just shot his friend in the face with a nail gun, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's all very simple and, uh, you know, elementary level production quality in order to get a really good effect. It comes down to camera movement and, uh, reactions from the actors. We believe it because we believe them, not necessarily because the effect was so good. There was no effect. It was sound in a camera move. The real effect yeah. is in the performance. That's where you're selling it. And so that's all I got. I really, really I like love it. this movie. I learned so much. And I just wish I had a good comparison. I've I I've really looked and looked and looked for another movie as good at the dramatic irony and the ability to, to layer in comedy through death. And I I just haven't found it. All the other horror comedies I feel like I've come across are just comedies that also have horror, not necessarily comedies yeah. that have comedy through the horror. So in that way, I think this film is very specific and and you know unique to me anyway. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think I would be surprised
0: if this screenplay wasn't written with them in mind. Mm. I I just it's it's way too you know specific. I I don't, I don't know. I just feel like like the idea of writing this with just and just like seeing a generic human being or like, you know, someone other than Alan Tudyk, yeah. you know, in it might feel a little just off, right? Mm-hmm. Because it it requires a very specific type of of acting like okay, you know, you're basing it on humor like like you said so like other movies we don't want to name any but there are some like most of the movies like this they they you're you're right they have comedy in that in them but it's just another aspect of a horror film yeah. not the, it's not a comedy first this movie is a comedy first so you need comedians you need comic mm-hmm. actors to play from beginning to end comedically right it's a comedy comedies don't deviate from being comedies unless it's like, here's a section where we're getting serious. And then we get comedic again. It always starts comedic. Most of it is, and then it ends comedic, even if it gets, takes a serious turn in the middle or yeah. towards the end. So, cause you want to hit them over the head with comedy and you want to leave them with comedy. Like yeah. there's, yeah. So that's what we, we do from the very opening scene where you've got all of these kids there, but then we meet Tucker and Dale. We have our own bias um, maybe not, maybe not about Alan Tudick, Right. But maybe, I don't know, because he could play, he could totally play a horror guy. Yeah. Right. So we have our own bias on what this is going to be like. And then, and then we have the first conversation with, with Tucker and Dale, where Tucker is being loving to Dale and telling him you're, you're, you're a good guy, you know, and that's the first realization of I misjudged them like immediately. But then it, it's funny, like they're always funny and, and the whole time and lovable. So they just they they establish that right off the bat and they never leave it. They never leave them being level less lovable than how you meet them uh, or how you realize that they are. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. So so I think that if I would have seen this before or when, you know, we were talking about this, uh, this other project that that, you know, you've been we've been working on. I would have had a much clearer picture of how this could come about, right? Yeah. Like, so, oh, so this is this. I just had this thought. Like, for any writers out there, this is a good, this is a good exercise, right? And so I've been doing this thing in my songwriting where I will, if I'm not feeling something, an idea, I'll leave it and I'll give myself 20 or 30 minutes to write a whole nother idea, right? Like, entirely. Like, okay. I love where this song is going, but I'm hitting a wall on a melody. I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated. I'm never going to finish anything. I suck. I'm terrible. Get rid of it. Put it away. Start from a blank slate. Write something else. You have 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Go. And that really helps, right? That really helps me. It's just one idea of many, right? Um, this is a would be a good example, a good example of an exercise for a writer, a screenwriter to uh, say you have Alan Tudyk in your film, right? And we're going to call it a horror comedy. Picture him in your mind and write a part for this guy, right? Who knows what it's going to turn out to be? You have no preconceived notion. You don't know the end. You don't know the beginning. You don't know anything that's going to happen. You just write and you write with his face in your mind and I feel like just dumbing everything down, like part of the problem with write, with writers, with writing, and I'm including myself 100% in that, is that I have too many possibilities. So because I have so many possibilities, I don't ever write anything that <laughs> is locked into one idea. I'm like bouncing around all over the place, throwing shit at the wall, see what sticks, and it just is a mess sometimes. But if I can boil it down to, oh, I like this one sound, I'm going to write stuff around this one sound or around the, around this one instrument that I'm feeling at this moment, then, then by the time I look back on it after 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, I'm like, wow, there's no way I would ever have come up with this in my brain and said, okay, now let me, let me make this happen. You know, cause I have this in my brain. It just, I find this one thing and I build around it. So this would be cool. A cool exercise of like have an actor in your mind, write a short story, with their face in your mind and see what happens. Because
1: that's Cause such a I, good idea. I just feel idea. like, yeah, because, I, yeah, I just feel like this had to happen for this specific and it's limited. And those are two of the things that sometimes create some of the best ideas the understanding of your limitations of, I have so many things, you know, production wise that I have access to and I have no budget. So let me, here's what I got. Here are the actors that I have and go. But sometimes I think if you probably have a little bit more money, You do run into some of these blocks where you do have endless options. And so maybe sometimes that would be a fun exercise. I'm probably going to try that out. Like, yeah, I'll write a short story with whoever Alan Tudyk in mind and see where it takes me. You just don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean you need him for that role, but it's a great entry into, you know, a a new creative element of here. Here's a story that I never would have thought of otherwise. Hmm.
0: That and I also try to write songs that already exist. I think we've talked about that before. You know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to write, I'm going to write airbag today and it never turns out exactly the same. And if it does, you just change a few chords or whatever, but, and it's fine, but like, it just gets you going. It gives you an idea. And I'm only talking about this because the screenplay was so perfect in this film. I just loved, I didn't feel like anything could, you know, should have been cut. I just thought it was really tight and important all the time and move the story along and you know was you had characters come in and out when they were needed to like the cop Mm -hmm. you know we see him once so we know who he is we establish who he is in the typical pull the guys over kind of thing and then let them go i mean i've used the word trope a lot in this episode but it's you know it's there's a lot in there yep and they identify it yep here's the here's the cop oh here's the cop again and now he's dead yeah, you know, but but that's all important, you know,
1: it is. It absolutely is. And the fact that not only here's the cop again, but the worry is there's no way this guy's going to believe us. And they have that conversation within the film, right, where Dale is like, let's call the cops. And Tucker's like, and tell him what what moron is going to believe this story that a bunch of kids are killing themselves. And literally the cop pulls up they tell him that story and he says what kind of moron do you think i am like he literally says the exact same thing that they're afraid of but it becomes their bailout like this is how we get out of this situation and then the writers take it away they give you like the thing you fear authority and yet it works oh god this is gonna this is this is it this is our escape clause oh no we're now we're gonna yank that away and make the characters figure it out Anyway, like in every avenue, they really build a very strong story and they make everyone earn it. It's freaking fantastic. <laughs> Dude, and this the like the setup with how
0: the cop dies is so good. <laughs> Everything like they write into things, man, yeah. the board on the nail swinging. Oh, we got to fix that. And never figure, I knew we should have fixed that after it killed him. But, you know, but also not just that there's like multiple Things that set set the, that whole scene up. So there's the swinging nail board with nails, but also he catches them in the most extreme. Right. <laughs> where they're, they're holding half a body by both each one in each le- <laughs> one leg in each hand. And so they're caught literally red handed. <laughs> and you would think normally they would just draw the gun, arrest them, take them off. But he's they tell him they tell him they have another one, another kid in the house. Yeah. Oh, you have another kid in the house so that draws him into the house and she's knocked out so she can't come out so he has to go in the house he doesn't want to draw the gun because he doesn't know what could happen maybe they they will kill her if he's like threatening them outside the house so he's like trying to play it
1: cool and go inside the house i felt like he just had a beat on him that he was like these guys are just morons and i i know it looks bad <laughs> yeah. and but this story is yeah. so absurd i i kind of have to take it serious like um yeah yeah i don't know It i don't know but it was just the writing yeah. they wrote into
0: that scene yeah. you know like they set it up two and three different ways yep. you know of why
1: that had to happen in that way that's a great point yeah because we already knew the faulty board was established and the fact that he knocked her out was established. And that is a great excuse to go in and get another version of the story and to see the, the girl. And yeah. And to get hit with the board. And then get hit with the board. Perfect. Just. Yeah.
0: Nice. Any yeah. final thoughts? <laughs> My only final thought is is just in that scene and in other scenes, like putting your protagonist in situations where you cannot think of a way that they could possibly get out of it. Yeah is really important for, for the storytelling in general, I think not just in, in this movie, but like in any kind of other drama or whatever, because that keeps the viewer on their toes there. I'm constantly thinking of how, how, man, how could I, if I was writing this, how could I write them out of this? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the board. That's right. Well, why would he even go in there? Oh, cause she's knocked out. And he's, they said they had another kid inside, you know, like Put them in scenarios where it's impossible for them to get out of it and then write them out of it. You know, like think of the worst, worst possible thing there. You're literally falling from 30,000 feet without a, a parachute. How could you possibly survive? And then just write them out of it. Find a way. That's know? awesome. And then and then you go back, you know, 10, 20 pages and you write stuff to lead into
1: that. You know, that's the thing. Uh, so like yeah, you do anyway. have to write it. The sooner, the better. You can't write foreshadowing five minutes before it happens because the audience is going to be right there with you. But if you write it early enough that we forget about those things, and they even remind you once, right, where she's leaning back in her chair, and Dale is like, "No, no, no, do that." She's like, "Yeah,", yeah. <laughs> but they kind of disarm you in in the reminding of it because. She takes it in the sense of, yeah, you're right. I'm probably not good enough to be a, you know, a psychologist. And he's like, no, I think you can be whatever you want. I'm just saying that that's not a sturdy board. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and so yeah. you kind of become more concerned with the relationship than with the danger that he just kind of pulled her out of. Uh, and so in yeah. that sense, you, it's a double whammy. Like you just got reminded of this danger that helps you remember it when it actually counts. But it also reinvests you in their relationship on an emotional yeah. level, yeah, which is yeah, good more point. important. Yeah. Such good yeah. writing.
0: God, it's such it's so good. it's which is funny. I didn't think that I would be talking about how good the writing is, but <laughs> I mean, it really is great. I, I loved it. I would recommend it to anybody. It is just so much fun. It's definitely a popcorn movie. Make some yeah. corn and enjoy. Heck to the. Uh, yeah. Nice. So what are you going to recommend this week? So this week I came across this this uh, this clip Again, uh, you've probably seen, I've sent it to you before and you've probably seen it a hundred times. I can't watch it enough. It's the uh, YouTube clip of the audition, Henry Thomas's audition for ET, where he literally books the gig immediately. Like they say, you can hear him on camera say, "Say," <laughs> and the title of the, the video is, okay, kid, you got the job at the end of it. What? It's unbelievable. This kid I mean, you've seen E.T. Everybody's probably seen E.T. You know who I'm talking about. The main kid Elliot. It's his audition <laughs> tape. Yeah, it's his audition. And they walk him through it. The, like the guy who's auditioning with him is just, yeah, he's great, too. But like this kid is just unbelievable. And it really is inspiring as an actor to see, man, this little kid has just got it, man. He's just put his his whole soul into this this moment with this creature and he's in love with it. It's,
1: yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I'm I'll, excited. I'll I don't, I'm sure I've seen it at some point, but I definitely haven't seen it in a while. But also as a by the by, I love that, you know, Elliot and ET are connected through the naming convention because Elliot begins with an E, ends with a T. And so there's just a simple, uh, very simple connection through the naming convention that helps you, you know, build a build a little connection. Um, yeah. Nice. So I am going to recommend this was really hard. I had three because Sam Raimi makes some really great you know, horror comedies, whether you're talking about Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Dragging Me to Hell. I was really on the fence and originally I, I had planned for us to cover Evil Dead 2 this month, but I might I think we're going to punt for that on next year that got subbed out. We lost a week due to timing reasons, but then I was like, I was thinking about teeth. James Gunn wrote a really crazy movie, but I ended up, I'm going to recommend, I don't know if it's a horror comedy per se, but it's certainly on the cusp called Fido. It's this movie called Fido and it's about a zombie in the fifties. Like this is 1950s America. There's been a zombie apocalypse and we've effectively quelled it. And now a kid has a zombie for a pet. and <laughs> His name is Fido. And so it, I like the idea, you know, in the same way that Tucker and Dale is playing against types, Fido is playing against type as well. Instead of just a rabbit zombie, he's like a pet. <laughs> and so it's weird. It's hilarious and definitely worth checking out. And so you'll see that trailer in the show notes, as well as Todd's Henry Thomas audition for E.T. in the in the. Show notes as well. But stay tuned. Next week, we are going to cover Shaun of the Dead, Edgar Wright's breakout film. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes. If there's a movie or something you want us to cover, let us know. Good chance we'll do it. Very good chance, especially if you drop a review. (laughs) And if you want to leave a a comment on this episode or see the the trailer or the the audition tape, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash Tucker and Dale versus evil. And our quote of the day is from Miguel de
0: Cervantes. The most difficult character in comedy is that of the fool. And he must be no simpleton that plays that part. I mean, I think we covered that. Yeah. That exact thing.
1: It's hard, man. Like in for those who don't know, Cervantes wrote Don Quixote, which if you're not. Familiar with that? I think we all generally. I haven't read it yet. That's on my list. Um, I'm a very long reading list, but it's the the central concept is there's this character, there's this man who wants to civilize society, and so he's on a mission to civilize, and he's also a bit of a, a fool. He's an idiot, and so he he sees danger where there is none. He and this is where the, the phrase tilting at windmills comes from because he looks and sees a, uh, what other one, everyone else sees as a windmill. He sees as a dragon. He's now he has to go slay the dragon. So he's tilting at, like a knight at a dragon, which is, you know, a windmill. And so, you know, I just thought from his perspective, that's really interesting. And I love and I think it's absolutely true. It's hard to play an idiot, you know, on purpose. Because it's it's easy to over-indicate or overplay that part, but playing it with genuinity and uh, sincerity mm. it requires a level of intellect and intelligence that you may not you know suspect if you're just an audience member watching and enjoying. Oh, this moron! Yeah. And in that way, I really love the casting decisions in this film. They just absolutely nailed it. Tucker and Dell are absolutely brilliant. It probably takes a very selfless person, Mm. because I think that
0: all, all the, like most of the time, and I'm including myself in this, we try to portray ourselves as smart individuals, right? As smart people who have it together and, you know, know our shit. And in, in the case of playing a fool, you have to be, you have to be able to literally put yourself in, in the shoes of someone, like in this example of someone who, you know, so tucker uh alan tudyk is a great example like you gotta be okay with putting yourself in a position where you're dopey but you're proud of you don't think you're dopey like you're proud of what you know and you you're and you're sure of it right and it's kind of a hard thing to put yourself into re- it really like to actually put yourself into that and play that well It's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to actually like be it. You know,
1: there's this core concept that acting coaches in general, um, one of my favorite acting coaches, uh, Carol Hickey, you know, comments, there's this phrase, fight for your character. It's this idea that it's easy as someone reading the part of someone else, reading a character description or the lines that this person says, and you, you want to not judge this person it's easy it would have been really easy for alan tudyk to read this part and say oh this guy's a moron so i'm going to play him like a moron but now you're not fighting for your character you're not fighting for the humanity in that person and that is very genuine that loves his buddy dale like this guy wants to see dale succeed he wants to see him get the best and he thinks he deserves the best and he's not just Saying words, you know, to, to connive them or to sound like an idiot, he never tries to sound like a moron. He never tries to sound dopey. He's just saying the lines in a way that he believes in his character, and his character is fighting for a thing. Mm-hmm. And we as the audience get the yeah. get the joy of judging these characters, but you never feel like they are judging themselves. The actor is never judging and, and participating yeah. in that judgment. Yeah, you said it better than me. That's exactly it, But for sure. But it's such a great point. Thank you so much, man. I, yeah. Uh, dude,
0: great conversation, great
1: man. <laughs> yeah, man, this is
0: this is great. You know, as as for most of these episodes, you never know where we're going to get or where we're <laughs> yeah. going to go. And I'm always surprised, or most of the time I'm surprised about when we kind of like go to places like this when we're not, we don't expect it. You know, like I... I don't expect to have a deep conversation, you know, after watching, you know, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, but we always find a way. Always. Oh, man, so much fun. Thank you for your insight. And thank you guys so much for listening. Please, like Wes said, subscribe, give us a review, share us with your friends. All of those things, they really help. If If you suggest a movie, I promise you, we'll get to it. Pretty much promise you, we'll get to it. Anyway, until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.